0: Hey, I just want to welcome you. My name is Rod, one of the pastors here, and I'm so delighted you're here, so honored to be a part of this experience with you. And uh, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be talking uh, this morning about being wiser in our relationships. And so uh, the video, though, that we did there, so well done. Uh, talks about serving. You know, we're a church really that we're a church of that that serves, and so we serve our community, we serve one another. Our vision is that we would find Jesus, follow Jesus, and further His fame. And part of following Jesus is just finding a place to serve. You know what I mean? Find a place to connect, and so we just encourage you to check that out, and you can sign up outside, and we'll tackle you in the parking lot if you don't. So uh, anyway, uh, so hey, so glad you decided to come to church today. I hope you're going to be encouraged. I love that you're here. You're in the right place. I really feel that when we come, it's just a chance to uh, experience what God would say to us through his word, a chance to kind of recalibrate our lives, uh, reconnect our hearts. And so that's what we're going to be doing. So if you'd bow with me for just a moment, let's pray. Father, thank you for today. I pray you would speak to us. I pray that we would hear the voice of God through your word. I pray that uh, we would be moved uniquely toward you, and we would know that this uh, this is the words of God for my life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so we're going to be unpacking the book of Proverbs here. We've been doing this, and uh, you may recognize that, you know, you go through life, you hit a crossroad, a turning point, and you need wisdom, right? Everybody needs a little bit of wisdom. And so today we're going to discover how to be wiser in our friendships, kind of continuing from last week, being the friend of God there. So Proverbs says this, it says, unless you get this right— Unless you figure out your friends, unless you figure out how to choose your friends, how to forge friendships, and how to keep friendships, you'll never be a wise person. You will never experience the life that God intended you to live. And I feel that many of us that we, we suffer from, from real friendships. And so we're going to talk about that today. If you're just joining us, where Proverbs came from, Solomon, you know, we've said that Solomon was this young upstart trying to figure out how to lead this kingdom, you know, and he's overwhelmed and he doesn't know what to do here. And so he's in over his head. He says, God, you know, I need help. If you'd give me wisdom how to, how to govern your people here. And so God was so pleased and thrilled that he would ask for wisdom. And so God Gave him wisdom. The Bible says beyond measure, the wisest man that has ever lived here. So we're going to find that the Proverbs is very practical, but it's also preventative to keep you from a lot of messes, and it's it's relevant to your life. Proverbs could change your life here, and so it shows you how to get life right. That's the purpose of Proverbs, and so we talked about a couple w- weeks ago wisdom. You have to want it, you have to want it for all of your life, you have to want it in every area of your life here. And so, what we're going to do this morning, you probably wondered why these four chairs are here, and what happens in Proverbs is it talks about four different types of people that sit in these four chairs here. So we're going to unpack the type of people in Proverbs, and as I'm doing this, maybe you could ask yourself which chair that you're sitting in, because you maybe have sat in one chair for a season of life, and then another. One and another one. You maybe have sat in all four chairs, and so anyway, the first chair, though, uh, on the uh, on my right or your left here, this chair right here, this would be the chair, the chair there of the inexperienced there, the chair of the naive person there. Okay, so this is the naive person. Okay, someone that is naive. Now, this is not derogatory. This is not mean spirited. This is not being critical. This is just saying that you know what. You just haven't lived life long that long. You may be here this morning, be 15 or 17 or 20 or 25 or 30, whatever. But you just haven't lived life that long to figure out a lot of things there. And the truth is, you're just a little bit naive there. And so I think this is expressed, you know, when the parent is maybe talking to their daughter, you know, and she's saved, you know, 13 or whatever, and trying to explain, you know, this important lesson in life. And the 13-year-old just goes... You know, like they kind of, only a 13-year-old can kind of flip their hair. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, and uh, and so, but but they just don't get it. You know, they just haven't lived long enough to have enough life experience there. So the problem, though, is if you're sitting in, in this chair right here, the chair of naivety, here's the problem. You don't know you're sitting in the chair. You're like, you have no idea that you're sitting in that chair. and The naive person doesn't know that they're naive until they're not naive anymore. You know what I'm talking about? I've sat in that chair. See, here's the, here's the thing. The key is, is, that, is to know that you're naive. Because, see, you don't know what it's like to be buried in a mountain of credit card debt because you've never experienced that before. You don't know the pressures that you can have in life because maybe you're in your 20s and, and you want to get involved in a relationship. And you're so, you know, excited about this relationship. And this relationship now, it feels like the one, you know, like this is the one, okay. And you're feeling like, wow, you know, and and you're sitting in the chair of naivety, though. And you're in this relationship, you know, and all of a sudden it's getting serious. You think you might want to marry this person. But you're so naive, you never thought about all the relationships in the past, all those dumb, dead-end, stupid relationships. And now you're going to have to explain all of these relationships to the person you might want to spend the rest of your life with. And you recognize that, you know what, I was just naive. In fact, I was just a bit, I was a bit clueless. So Proverbs talks about the person that is naive there. So, and it has a word for you, and the word is this, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. Don't lean to your own experience. Don't lean to your own intuition because you really don't have any. Okay, so don't go with that. Don't go just with your friends say, you need to go to God. Don't trust in your own experience, your own insights, your own intuition there. And so, now... There's another chair here that Proverbs talks about. Another chair that describes some of our lives here. And this is a chair actually talks about being a fool. Now, what is a fool? What is a fool? A fool who knows the difference between right and wrong. They just don't care. They just don't give a rip. They could care less. In fact, at the end of this morning, this is how a person could know they're a fool. They went, they came to church. They heard a lot a lot of stuff here, you know, some good stuff. And they think like, yeah, you know what? That was, uh, that was probably true, but I just don't care. I'll figure it out on my own. You know, uh, they're probably right, but I don't care. I'm going to live life the way that I've always lived my life because that's how I do life. I'll pay the consequences. I just don't really care. I just don't really care. And so, uh, and the only way, the only way that this person here, sitting in this chair, will ever learn is by the pain of their life. When it gets so painful, they can't take it anymore. Then and only then will they listen. But before that, until the pain is just unbearable, they just don't care. The Bible calls them a fool. Now watch here. Because the Bible says it, now this is graphic, this is gross, this is repugnant and repulsive. But this is how the Bible describes the person sitting in this seat. It says this, it says in Proverbs 26, As a dog returns to its vomit, so fools repeat their folly. As a dog, you know, dogs will do that. They'll they'll vomit and they'll go back and they'll eat their vomit. And, the, and Solomon says, I need to get the point across. I need to be really graphic here so that people get it. I need something that's going to really stick in the mind of the fool. Otherwise, they just don't care. So it says, as a dog would go back to its vomit. That's how a fool is. A fool will just go back to its own folly there. So as a dog is not revolted. A dog is not revolted by its vomit. So was the fool not revolted by his folly. And so he'll just keep going back to it there. And so uh, this is what a fool does. The fool will say, yeah, you know, you're probably right. I just don't care. And so you have the naive... You have the fool there. Proverbs also talks about another chair here. And this particular chair is called the chair, the seat of the mocker, of the mocker. And what is a mocker? A mocker is one who's just critical. A mocker is just, you know, cynical. A mocker is a person, maybe there was insecurity, I don't know, just however that they got there. But they got there such that they play judge, they play jury, they're the ones that, you know, just criticize everybody for what they're trying to do here. And they, they filter life through this critical grid here, and they end up mocking people. And Here's what the Bible says to the mocker in Proverbs chapter 9. It says this. Anyone, see, they, they don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear it. So anyone who rebukes a mocker, they hate it. It says what they'll do is, you're just going to get an insult in return. Yeah, you know what? I don't want to hear it. You know, what do you know? You know, that's the mocker there. And the, you know, look at your life, you know, and they'll just insult you there. And so Proverbs, in what is it doing here? Is it screaming to us that you have here, you have the naive, you have the fool, and you have the mocker, and you can live so much of your life here, and and I've lived in all one of these three seats, and probably you have too, but it says it's a dangerous thing. Probably says it's a very dangerous thing to live here, and what are you going to do about that? Because see, if you're in the naive seat, you're clueless. You just don't know. You're the fool, you're just you're just careless. You could you could care less. You know, you're in the seat of the mocker there, you're just critical. And so it's a dangerous thing to live in these seats here. So what's the answer there? The answer in Proverbs is this is that there's another seat. And it's this seat right here. That you don't the Proverbs Solomon is saying, like, you don't have to live there. You can live right here, and this is the seat of wisdom. And see, and if you live in this seat here, you gotta seek wisdom in every area of your life, for all of your life. Okay, it's knowing how to do life right from God's perspective. And so, what we're gonna talk about here this morning is wisdom in our relationships, and we'll get there in just a minute. But what does the wise person do? The wise person filters their life through a question. There's a question that they always are asking the wise person. But so everything in life, every crossroad, every turning point, they're filtering life through a question that these three seats don't ever filter their, their life through. And what is the question that they filter their life through? But this, what is, what is the wise thing to do? What's the wise thing to do? And so they don't ask this question. They don't say, what's the right thing to do? That's not the best question. They don't ask the question, you know, what's the moral thing to do? That's not a bad question, but there can be multiple moral options, and you need to know what's the best thing to do. The moral thing to do is not always the wise thing to do. I'll explain that in uh, in, uh, the next week or two. So you don't necessarily do the right thing. That's not the best question. Good question, but not the best question. Or the moral thing, or even the legal thing. Because sometimes you're like, how close can I get to the edge there and still be on the side of legal? Not the wisest question to ask, the best question. So the very best question you can ask in your life is, what is the wise thing to do there? So, now, maybe you're going to go to college, maybe you're going to, you know, got a next season of life here, you're moving out, you know, getting a new job, starting a business. You always want to be asking, what is the wise thing to do here? And if you'll do that, you really will regret Proof your life here. Filter your life decisions through this one question. Now, Ephesians puts it this way. Ephesians says in Ephesians 5, verse 15, it says, be very careful. You need to be very careful how you live your life, okay? Not as unwise, not as unwise don't live like that but as wise okay how do you do that it says this it says making the most out of every opportunity that will maybe never come around again okay because watch the days are evil the days are evil therefore therefore don't be foolish don't live the rest of your life sitting there don't be foolish but be wise okay sit in in this seat, be wise and understanding what the will of the Lord is. What is the will of the Lord? Not to sit in those seats for the rest of your life. Okay, to be wise, not to be foolish there. And so how do you how do, you do that there? Well, you know, we live in a fast culture. We live in a loose culture. And that's how it was in Ephesus. It was really fast. It was really loose here. And so the reason he says to live as wise is because the days are evil. We live in we live in a day that the days are evil. A day that says this. A day that says, you know what? You can have anything you want, whenever you want. You can put it on credit. And so not knowing that that's going to wreck your life. Not knowing that if you accept that view of money, you accept that view of credit. It will absolutely wreck your life. It's an evil day. See, you live in a culture that says, you know what? Whatever the other person is willing to consent, as long as it's consensual, Don't worry about drawing lines there. You live in an evil day there. See, you live in a day that says, you know what? You can look at anything you want to look at, whenever you want to look at. The internet is ever-present. All you have to do is click. Hey, chill, you know what? Don't listen to that guy on stage there, you know, going off, you know. It's just a feel-good hit. It's just fun. It does no harm whatsoever there. You know what? You live in a culture that tells you you can do it over and over again. So you live in an evil day. So you live in an evil day that encourages you to sit here and not to sit there. But you need wisdom. And so you live in an evil day that if you don't recognize that, you will live ultimately with a lot of regret. So this morning we're talking about how to regret-proof your life. So just a few little qualifiers, though, about, about this idea. What is the wise thing to do in light of my past? I just want to drill down just a little bit more. What is the wise thing to do... Okay, in light of my past experiences. What is the light wise thing to do in light of my past experiences? Well, because the, so, what wisdom looks like will be different for one person than another, based on your past, based on your past there. Maybe you have alcoholism in your family past. Maybe you got to factor that into the equation. Maybe you have, you know, uh, uh, some uh, disfo- you know, crazy dysfunctional stuff. Maybe with money, you know, how money was spent there. You know, maybe there was abuse there. You've got to factor that into what is the wise thing to do, in light of my past. And so, what's the wise thing for me to do in light of my past? Maybe a little different than what's the wise thing for you to do in light of your past. For example, in my past, I have, I have three generations of alcoholism. Hopeless alcoholism, rampant, destroying three generations. In light of my past, what is the wise thing to do may be a little different than what is the wise thing for you to do with respect to that history. And so another question to ask is this. What is the wise thing to do, not only in terms of my past, but what about my my present? What about my present? In other words, uh, maybe you're trying to get out of debt. Okay, For you, if you're trying to get out of debt, you don't want to assimilate more debt when you have no extra income coming in. That, that's not wise for you. Based on your present, what is the wise thing to do? So you have your past, you have your present, and then you have your future. What's the wise thing to do? Based on your future, your hopes, and your dreams. Maybe your dream is to be an athlete. Okay, that should should affect how you're going to dictate your life, your diet, your exercise, you know, all the discipline, all those things. You want to be an athlete, okay? Then then have wisdom about that. You want to get married, okay? All right. So if you want to get married, there are relationships you don't want to waste your time on. They're dead-end relationships. You're you're wasting your life on that and then not being able for for what God may have for you. So, what is a wise thing to do in light of my future hopes and my dreams? Maybe you want to go to college, you know, all right, or, or, or professional school. So if you have those hopes and dreams, there are decisions that you make based on that. So, because if you don't, here's what I know to be true. Here's what I know to be true. If you choose not to sit in this seat... Okay, and ask the wise question, based on your past, your present, your future hopes and dreams. And you you determine to stay in these seats here. You determine you will rob yourself. You will rob yourself of your future. That's what you will do. You rob yourself of your future there. And so, having said that. To, now I want to drill down and talk about friends. Just that was kind of a, kind of a warm up there, okay? So let's now talk about friends. How can we be wiser? Everybody okay? Being very quiet this morning? So, uh, maybe I should, maybe I should stop for a moment and let you come up for air. So, uh, I'll do that, okay? I'll let you come up for air. Okay, so, let's talk about, let's talk about how to be wiser in our friendships this could affect you for your whole of your life. This is this is what what I'm going to share is very important. If I was going to ask you to write down on your sheets there on your notes, your outlines, write down your your closest friends. You need to do it or you can just think about it. Write down your closest friends. Who are they? Who are your closest friends? You know, many of us we have uh, we have social media friends. It's easy to have, you know, hundreds of social media friends. But not really be connected, you know, so much beyond that. We're connected in social media world, you know. We've got our, all our, 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 our Snapchat friends and Facebook friends and Twitter friends, all our, all of our friends there. Okay. But how many, I'm talking about real friends here. Okay. And I think intuitively, intuitively, many of us, you know, are longing for something more. There's a sense, you know, that, you know, it's not quite right. And I think there could be a little bit something more. And many of us, you know, we're impoverished in a way that we don't even recognize. We live in a culture that's impoverished in a way we don't even recognize that we're impoverished here. Because we believe that you know, uh because you know we have all these you know friends, social media friends that we've got friends but how many of them are real friends? I think many of us deep down we believe that that uh, that there is more relationally that we that we're actually experiencing here. And many people, we actually live in a a state of relational, uh, sociologists call it relational poverty. Uh, We don't even realize that we're living there. Uh, Let me just say this. You just don't know that you could be one friend away from someone that could change the course of your life, could change the direction of your life here. So Proverbs says this, how to be wiser in our friendships. Proverbs 18.24, it says, A person with many companions may come to ruin there's a friend that sticks closer to a, the, the, than a, than a brother. In other words, sometimes a friend can be like even more important than a family member here. See, we all have our companions, we all have our associates, we all have our social media friends. But when the chips are down, That's going to take a lot of energy, going to take a lot of you know involvement, a lot of expenditure there. And your life is beginning to collapse. And your life is beginning to break down. And you need something. There are those friends who will say, oh, you know what? Hey, just call me if you need something. Just call me. Your companions, your your associates. But then you've got that one friend or those two friends that, you know what? They're like, I'll be there no matter what it costs me. See, that's what Proverbs is talking about here. You know, you have your family and your family, they don't have any choice. They're your family. They don't have any choice about, you know, being connected to you here. And, uh, they've got to be there. It's like, you know, flagrant, foul, third degree if they're not there. But what about, you know, a friend is someone who has chosen you. Your family had no choice. A friend is someone that's chosen you. And look at when it says, there is a friend that sticks closer. Stick's closer than a brother. The word stick in the original language there, Hebrew language, it means to cleave. It's cleaving. It's not this, you know, just kind of distant, casual. No, they're cleaving to you. What it means is that there's a commitment there. They're passionately connected and committed to you. There is a friend that cleaves in life. And so this, is, this speaks of the unique necessity of friendship here. Because see, friendship, you know, brings something to your life that family can't bring, romance can't bring, neighbors can't bring. It brings something that, that's actually irreplaceable. Even more than, than, than a brother, than someone in the family. And so, here's what I know to be true. It's impossible to live life right without the right friends. Okay, and I would suggest to you that we need to, to rediscover the lost art of friendship Proverb style by the wisest man that ever lived. Because our culture, you know what the, the truth is? Our culture is not turned on by, by friendship. Just think about that. See, our culture tends to minimize friendship. an incredibly busy culture, you know, uh, where everybody's working, you know, and everybody's kind of, you know, kind of vocationally networking and connecting and trying to keep up with, with everything here. Friendship gets put on the back seat. I'm going to show you how. When is the last time you ever picked up a nice glossy magazine, you know, and on the cover of that magazine it said, who is friends with who? Have you ever seen a magazine like that? They just talked about friends. No, it's talking about who's, you know, who's, you know, the, the latest romance between this person and that person, you know. And so when's the last time you went to, you saw a movie, a movie that's all about friendship? Not romance, no, not romantic friendship, but just friendship. I had to think about that, and I don't see that many movies, so I'm probably not a good, a good uh, judge of this, but the last one I could think of was the 1970s Brian Piccolo and Gail Sayers' Brian's Story. Like, you know, decades ago. Or perhaps for, you know, maybe Lord of the Rings. But that's, you know. All right. And the, you know what, the little romance part there, they like grabbed that from the Hollywood grab. It's not in the book. It's not even in the book. But for Hollywood, they got to throw a little romance in there, you know, to, to make it, uh, uh, you know, palatable for culture. But that was the romance part, not even the book. You know, it's just uh, So before it went from book to, to movie, they, they threw that in there. But how many movies do you see that are about friends? You know what I'm talking about? Like we don't extol friendship in our culture here. And so if, but if we get friends right you can get every area of life that matters really life right here. And so, but if we get friends wrong, okay, you'll get life wrong. We've talked about it that they that walk with wise will be wise. The companion of fool is going to suffer. You don't have good friends, you will, you will suffer here. And so today though, you know, it's hard to have friendship, real friendships. are so dominated by social media. And, I, and I, this is not like, you know, uh, social media, you know, is, is 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 great. You know, there's great things about it here. But let me just say this: It wasn't meant. It wasn't meant to be a replacement for relationships. It was meant to be a supplement. It was meant to be a supplement. Think about that. When is the last time you went to a you, know, you go to a restaurant and there's a table? You know, uh, I, I saw this uh, downtown Redlands just a couple of weeks ago, sitting across this table. All the kids, you know, the, all four people, the whole time, you know. Are, Oh, just a minute! You know, I got to check this recipe on Pinterest. Just to be right with you. They're they're there to connect to have dinner together, right? Oh, just a second! You know, uh, let me check my uh, my, my Snapchat. Just a mom, no, no, just a second! I got another recipe on Pinterest here. You know, okay. And so, uh, so, so this is the reality here. Is it is it it can be undermining here? And so, we were designed for relationship. You know, uh, uh, we as, as the leaders of this church feel like God is calling us to to uh, more significant levels of relationship. To get back to this, and so how fitting it is that we talk about it. So, so we were made for face to face, intimate, personal relationships, not just thumb to thumb. Face to face is what you were you were designed for. And so, true friendship then is forged. Okay, and I'm going to talk about that this morning. Four ways to do that. The four building blocks. To create true friendship, four marks, a true friendship. This is a profile of a real friend. Here it is, according to the wisest man that ever lived, Solomon. Number one is this, is constancy. Constancy. What do I mean by that? Constancy means that a true friend is there. They are present. You know, at the power of being present. You know, I'm talking about just being present Okay, for a friend. You're, you're, there's a constancy, an availability there. The Bible puts it this way, Proverbs 17 says, a friend loves at all times, not just good times, bad times, you know, good times, ordinary times, routine times. A friend loves at all times, and a brother, this friend, is born for adversity. At all times, that real friend will be there. When you're suffering adversity, they will be there for you. See, and you can't be a true friend, okay, without availability. You can't be a true friend that when the chips are down, you won't be there for them. So this takes intentional time. Uh, it takes a, it takes time spent together. Building block of real friendship is constancy there, where you're face to face, not just thumb to thumb there. And so, you have to be available. And so there's something about, about presence that is just so powerful. I mean, somebody can, you know, text you or email you, and you know, what? hey, you know what, I'll, I'll, I'll be there for you or, or you know, I, I believe in you. But you know what, when you see them face to face and you just feel it's like, I believe in you and I will be here for you. That's different, okay? That's different, okay? So, carefulness is the second thing here. You want to be a true friend? By that I mean to connect. To connect. Be careful to connect at a heart level here. In friendship, what you're doing is this. You're giving the gift of an emotional connection, okay, which is voluntary there. A friend creates... A friend creates emotional connection, then which is the gift there—not just cerebral, not just you know exchanging head ideas here, but a friend learns to really share the heart. Okay, so and you know like we know, we know how to do stuff. You know, we can craft you know the perfect statement on social media there. You know, and take our picture, you know, and doctor it up and everything, and send that. But I'm talking about here about how do you do it face to face. Okay, and so, okay, we can impress people with our strengths, but how you really connect with people is when you talk about your weaknesses, when you're open, when you're vulnerable, when you're transparent there. See, people connect through weakness here. Say, not, you know, it's when, when we're willing to drop our online persona. I were willing to, to be genuine. Like, here's the struggle that I'm facing. Here's the temptation I cannot overcome. Here's the fear that I just continue to have. Here's the thing that's just it's got a stranglehold on my life here. The Bible says this, Solomon writes in Proverbs 25, Whoever sings songs to a heavy heart. In other words, that's being totally insensitive. Someone is depressed, you know, and like on suicide watch, you're like, you know, let me sing this flippant song to you. No, like you're connected with that person. You understand where they're at. You're sensitive. You're you're meeting them there. And so number three here, the third thing you have to do to have true friendship, according to Proverbs, is this. You have to have candor or truth-telling. In other words, friends tell the truth to friends. Candor is I'm willing to tell you the truth. Proverbs 27. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Hidden love. I'm going to talk about that. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses here. And so, see a connected friend will be able to tell you the truth. Truth that could change the course of your life. Truth that could pull you out of darkness. Truth that you're know that you unaware of. And some of us... You know, we'll never become the people that God wants us to be because we don't have this in our life. Because we're relationally disconnected or impoverished here. It says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. In other words, they love you enough to tell you the truth. And there will be an occasion where there are words that your friends need, need to hear, but because they're painful to hear, okay, only a real friend will tell you those words there. And That's how you know that they're really your friend. When is the last time you had a friend tell you an important truth? When is the last time you had a friend tell you a, a hard truth about you? When is the last time that that happened there? That that could change the direction or at least correct the course of your life. See, you're not a friend if you're hiding the truth, is what the wisdom of Proverbs says here. See, and some people say, oh, you know what? I just love that person so much. I just love them so much that, um, that, and I'm just, I love them so much that I just really can't tell them. No, what you're really saying is this. Is that you love yourself so much that you don't want to go through the pain of having to confront them. That's what you're saying. Because a true friend will tell them the truth there. The truth friend will give them an accurate view uh, of their life, there, their strengths, or their weaknesses, uh, and, and realize that I'm harming them by not telling them the truth. A friend tells the truth. So faithful are, are, are the wounds uh, of a friend there. And the fourth one, is not in your notes here. Some of it didn't get in there. Fourth one is this. Okay, you need to extra credit, write it in. The fourth one is counsel. Counsel. Okay, counsel. A true friend... We'll give you counsel. Proverbs 27, verse 9. The heartfelt, see that connection there? The heartfelt counsel of a friend is as sweet as perfume and incense. Now, check this out. In this culture, they didn't have sugar. In this culture, they didn't have any resources to make sugar. So if you wanted to sweet something, you were out of luck. You couldn't sweeten anything. It didn't exist. And so the thought now of sweetness was something that that culture, they, they couldn't, you know, uh, that was almost a little bit foreign to them. So they had to think in terms of incense or perfumes and things like that. They couldn't think of, you know, like chocolate and all that. But it's saying this, look, counsel, it's exquisite. From a friend, it is so exquisite. It's rare, you know, to to, to get that that kind of counsel. you got to pursue those kind of friends to get it there. So it's not just talking about ventilating there, you know, but we desperately need the, what a friend can bring and, and counsel here, where there is openness and intimacy and, and transparency here. See, and friends they have a balance though. They don't just machine gun you all the time, you know, you need to know this, and you need to no, it's not it's not saying that, but they but they're willing to speak the truth, okay? But it also says in Proverbs twenty seven verse seventeen that as iron sharpens iron, so one friend another. In other words, you get this kind of friend, it'll make you a better person. It'll make you better spiritually. You get this, it'll sharpen you. It'll make you, it'll make you stronger. You will sharpen them, okay? Uh, who is that person in your life that sharpens you, that makes you stronger, gives you, gives you that, that spiritual edge, you know, when you're, you're feeling dull and kind of lost and all. And so God wants to place those kind of people in your life that could do that for you as iron sharpens iron. Who is that person? Well, in closing, let me say this. Let me say that the challenge that we face is this, is friends end up being taken away from us. Friends end up moving. Friends end up being gone faster than we can forge new ones sometimes. And we have less time. And uh, what do we do? And we live in a culture where The reality is this. You don't have enough friends. It's true. Many of you, you don't have enough friends. If we could admit something, for some of us, the reason we don't have all the friends that our hearts need is because we're not that type of friend. And so the question is this is, what are we going to do if we're not? Would you be willing to give the gift of emotional vulnerability to someone and risk it? Maybe we're not getting it because we're not giving it. You see, in Where are we going to go to get the power really of to be the friends that we need to be so we can have the kind of friends we need to have? Here's what I know. I know for for many of us, you may be one friend away from having the kind of marriage you want to have. You may be one friend away from being the kind of parent you want to be. You may be one friend away from being the, the, the generous person that that you've always wanted to be, like Pastor Sean talked about with your time, your talents and your treasures. You may be one friend away from overcoming that thing, that addiction, that whatever. You may be just one friend away. You may be one friend away from learning, you know, how to maybe control your life a little better and add years to your life. You may be one friend away from waking up and just discovering you have a higher purpose and a divine calling that you didn't even know about because you don't have that friend. You may be one friend away from experiencing, you know, what life in church could be like and experiencing God's power and experiencing what He has for you. You could be one friend away from realizing who Christ is and experiencing the A new story. Think about it. One friend away. So how do we find the friends? The answer is this. John chapter 15 says, And on the night before Jesus died, God himself with the disciples says this, I know how it's been in the past and I know our, what our relationship has been but I'm going to the cross and you need to know something that I no longer call you servants but but I call you friends. And Jesus says now Love has no greater mark than this, that you would lay down your life for another. And that's what I'm going to do for you. And suddenly the history of the world can be understood in terms of friendship and that the God of the Bible, the God of the Bible says this, says here, the Christian God is your friend. Pastor Steve talked about that last week. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit there in Genesis chapter 3. There is God walking in the cool of the darkness with Adam and Eve and and to walk with and, and means, you know, to have relationship with and to be related to and to be connected with. And there is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are friends. They are community. And we were created in His image then, created in His image to have friendship with God and with one another. Part of the redemptive story of your life is this, is that it redeems your relationships there. Jesus would say this, I'm the ultimate friend who loves at all times. I'm the ultimate friend that was born for adversity. I am the ultimate friend that will cleave, will stick closer to you than a brother here. I'm the ultimate friend that that my life was ruined that I could have friendship with you. Jesus says that these are the, the wounds of love because I pursued you as my friend. Jesus Christ on the cross, it was like this God comes to Jesus and says, This. Okay. Garden of Gethsemane. What do you want? Do you want to be friends with them? Friendship with me is going to be broken, going to be separated. But if you say yes, you can let the cup pass from you. But if you say yes, you can be friends with them. But for a time, we won't be friends anymore. And Jesus said, I want to be friends with them. And he went to the cross. And because of what Jesus did, it liberates us. I'm now, I'm accepted by him. It liberates all of us and capacitates all of us that we can be the kind of friends, frees us, that we can be the kind of friends that God intended for us to be. This is the gospel. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I pray it would be a light to our feet and a lamp to our path over and over and over again. I pray, Father, that this would be a place where people can experience You, to find You and to follow You, further Your fame, to put our faith in You. Help us to walk in a new direction in terms of our friendships. Bless us. Do what only You can do. Speak as only You can speak and have Your way in our lives. We pray that we might be friends with God and friends With one another and this we ask in Jesus name. Amen.